welcome to CXO, a magical podcast to help you serve better and concoct experiences that are superlative in nature. I'm your host, Supriya Sharma, bringing to you in each episode didactic nuggets so you can get inspired to sprinkle stardust in your company, your home, and the community on the whole. CXO today, it's Christopher Brooks, a customer strategist with over 20 years of agency, client side, and consultancy experience working with corporates across Europe and the Americas. He's now the MD at Clientship. He's also the host of CX Superheroes podcast, resident writer of the CX Leader series published in My Customer founder of the Customer Experience World Games, a not-for-profit enterprise set up in response to COVID-19, and a guest lecturer in CX management at the International University of Monaco. Welcome to CXO, Christopher. Thank you so much, Tapriya. It's great to be here and uh, delighted to be your guest today. So Christopher, where does the Beyond Business philosophy fit into this world of CX? Well, I, I think um, we've got a little lost along the way and uh, CX has become a mechanic to extract more revenue from customers um, in service to shareholders. Still the old model of, you know, let's let's see what we can deliver to shareholders. Um, and that was that's not really its potential. So the beyond business is to kind of take a step back. Simon Sinek talks about you know, inspiring customers rather than persuading them. And I think when you start to look at customer experience in the way it can inspire improvements beyond customers, beyond employees, beyond communities, but into society, you start to find a place for it. So that, that's, the, that's the, the, the genesis for it is to say that you need to look at beyond business and think, how can my organization and what I do for my customers have a greater impact on their well-being and on society? That in turn, means that customers will feel more compelled to associate with you, which means in turn they're likely to give you more of their discretionary spend than they'll give to others because they're inspired to be uh, part of your uh, your setup and, and employees, customers will choose you over others. So it still has a commercial edge to it, but it's actually using customer experience to create good rather than just to create gain. So creating an experience that makes your customers choose you over and over, over others and time and again. Does it have to do something with exceeding the expectations of the customers? You know, we generally say you don't meet the expectations, yeah. you exceed the expectations of the customers. Does it have to do with that? Uh, well, no, this is this is, a, this is a very good point. Um, I was talking to John Pico uh, last week about this uh. particular point. And um, there's a danger with exceeding expectations um, because if you think, if you're working in luxury, and uh, you want to exceed your guests' expectations. They might normally have four beautiful Egyptian cotton towels on the bed. You decide to put six on this. You've exceeded their expectations or you've left uh, some complimentary gift in the room. What you've actually done is you've reset the expectations. You've not exceeded them, you've reset them. So the next time they, they come in and there's only four towels or there's no gift, you've, you've under-delivered against the expectation. 
Um, and now, if you're exceeding the expectation, that's more than I expected as a customer, which means you've eroded profit as well. So you need to say to your financial director, I don't need to do this. The customer will still come back to us because we're delivering a great experience, but I'm going to give them something in addition, which means you're going to have to take some money out of your bottom line. Wow. And you see what sort of response you get back from the finance director. They're not particularly happy. John Pico puts it in a much better way. And it's, it's kind of delivering pleasant surprises. You know, if you just if you deliver surprises, then it's much more discretionary. And um, referring back to the uh, hotel industry, they're the, they're the best at this. They're able to deliver these discretionary surprises. They don't have to be kind of commercially thought through. So, yeah, I, 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 I have trouble with the expression to exceed expectations. <laughs> it would have to do with the perspective, because we say that perspective is the most important tool in CX. You're 100% right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you need to make sure before you even think about service blueprinting improvements, that you understand your customers and their, their perspective, how they're going to look at things. Um, it may be their demographics or it might be the circumstance in which they're engaging with you, which means that one, you know, the same experience for one group could be hugely underwhelming, whereas the next group, it could be hugely overwhelming. And it also means that the, the type of design that you deliver may need to be changed we go for you know, an omni-channel approach quite often and it's worth remembering that the, what's the task what's the goal the customer actually has and then work out what is the best way to actually deliver against that if you move to sort of digital touch points you have what's created you know low touch engagement um, which encourages anxiety among certain groups amongst others that delivers great efficiency and it reduces anxiety. So to kind of understand that, you're absolutely spot on there. Yes, good, 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 very good question. Yeah, and you brought out a really interesting point there, the omni-channel strategies that all of us are up to these days. But don't you think it's uh, increasing intrusion and complexity? Because by the time you order something on an online market, and by the time you receive it at your home, you already had 10 notifications. It's like mm -hmm. you are being bombarded with notifications. I understand it has to do with knowing the customer and what the customer wants, but then, if you have two different kinds of customers for the same kind of organization, how those two organizations deliver on the expectations of both the customers? One can say, oh, I don't like those notifications. And the other says, yes, I want those notifications. I want to know where my packet actually is on the way. But it's, a, it's such a good point. I work with a, an organization and you know they say that, oh, working with you, it's 75% you know, of our time is taken up managing the interactions which only leaves me 25 percent to deal with the other 19 companies we have to deal with you know so so you have you know, some organizations who really overburden the customer in order to deliver what they think is an effortless experience because we're keeping you up to date all the way through whereas some customers would turn around and say i don't i don't need that you know i really don't need that i work with a, a, a re close retailer and um there's a group of customers who will always contact you before a product has arrived. Not because they believe it's not going to arrive or, or they want to cancel it, but they just have that anxiety as a group. You've got to deal with them. Whereas there's another group, the last thing they want is to know about what the problem is until if it arrives or it doesn't arrive, they deal with it then. Oh. And you have to design for both these groups and just make it accessible to them. You you can't predict what they want. They can kind of let you know how they want to deal with it. But I think, yeah, if you're going to be omnichannel, it's not just the touch points that suit you. It's it's end to end. Otherwise, yeah. and, and those channels are transforming significantly. The amount of times I've worked with organisations who don't see 
voice of the customer verbatim feedback boxes as customer service interactions. I, as a customer, tell you there's a problem in a survey that goes out, you know, every once in a while. That's as good as me contacting the customer service team and saying I have a problem. You have you have to do closed loop. You have to deal with it in the same way. So, yeah, um, and you know, if you're going to deliver omnichannel, every single one of those. It, interactions is an experience which will increase or decrease the customer's confidence um, so you have to know what the next likely outcome is going to be if i can't get hold of you or can't get the answer i need on your portal um, chat that then has an impact in my confidence of your agents to deal with me when i call up with them so it's really important to get that mapped out that's a really good point so should the goal be to create a frictionless experience for the customer is that what the goal mm. should be well, I think friction, frictionless is interesting, isn't it? Because um, if you can make it frictionless, the danger is, and this is the real challenge, I forget to value you. Mm. I don't see you in my world. You, you basically take away all the problems and anxieties, which is great. If someone then comes along and, and flashes up um, a shiny prize for me to move my business from one company to another, how am I going to be reminded that behind the scenes you were making things frictionless for me? You know, so, so it's very good. No one wants to put pain into a process without a doubt, not to put pain. But you need to remind customers of the good work you do on their behalf. We work with a bank um, and built uh, something called customer standards and put these standards to the customers to say, what do you think about this? And they were flabbergasted. They went, oh my God, I never realized the ethics and the efficiencies that you put in place, the controls you put in place to make sure things didn't go wrong for me. I will absolutely commit to you forever. But they didn't see this stuff. So it was only when we presented it to the customers they realized. Now, you could argue that as a business, that's what you should do anyway. So you don't want to be pushing it in their face, but you've got to realize that customers won't value something they can't touch, feel, or see. And frictionless, by very nature of the description, makes it something you can't touch, see, or feel. So you shouldn't jump to it. You know, effort making something effortless is good. But actually, it does show there's good reports to show that actually, if you can get it to a 10 on effortless, the chances are those customers will leave you because they don't see the value in it anymore. Hmm. That's like saying if you don't have sadness in life, you won't realize the value of happiness. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. You need perspective, you need context in this regard. You need some context. I need to know that when things go wrong, an organization there is to pick it will pick me up and put me back on my feet if they do it in such a way that i don't realize that i'm being picked up and put back on my feet i don't it doesn't increase my confidence in their ability to do that i don't know that they can do it so how do i know that when it does go wrong they will pick me up and put me back on my feet so it's a it's a i mean you take organizations like visa or mastercard behind the scenes their networks are incredible you can't be telling customers all the time do you know how many you know fraudulent issues we kind of saved every single day but actually when you do package it and you make people aware of just the work that you do behind the scenes for them it also it justifies the premium in in, in the price that may be charged for a particular service as well otherwise customers are sort of questioning but it but it, it is it is a balance yeah i mean it, it's not a case of sticking a thorn in someone's side and pulling it back out but there are discrete ways in which you can demonstrate we are actually supporting you uh, through situations you're not particularly aware of. Yeah, and, and a very monstrous idea comes to my mind right now, coming from the movies, you know, uh, when you actually, uh, the, the hero comes in when the villain troubles the actor. 
So something like mm-hmm. that. Only when we create problems for customers deliberately first, and then we come out as a hero. Okay, we are here to solve your problems yeah. for you. Yeah, exactly. There are, and um, there's uh, again John Pico. I spoke to him recently. He talks about uh, recovery with style. Uh, you know, recovery with style. With style exactly huh? to that point. The hero coming in with a cape and kind of saving the day. But I mean, I think um, Amazon call it flipping the turtle. The idea of you put someone back onto their feet. And one of the retailers in the UK. Um, uh, call it uh, heroic recovery. So you know it is making sure that when when you do that, the last interaction you have is a very positive impression for for the customers. So they can remember, you know, well, okay, but when things don't typically go wrong, but when they do, I have at, utmost confidence they will take care of things for me. So that's the kind of premise you want to want to create. Okay, and just tracing the roots of customer experience because I'm really inquisitive about this. Looking back 10 years or 15 years, the concept or the idea of customer experience wasn't so popular. However, it has actually existed since the time you know maybe the first purchase was ever made. There has been yeah, an experience involved with it. Then, then why, where did the breakthrough actually come in from? How did we get to learn about this concept of customer experience? It's just like saying gravity always existed, but <laughs> since Newton saw the apple falling and he decided, okay, this was due to gravity, then we started saying, oh, there is a force of gravity. It's a very good point. I, I mean, I think if you look at kind of the curves, we've gone from um, it's about evolution. So I, I sometimes describe it in terms of the turnip, a simple turnip. Now, originally, if you wanted a turnip, there would be a, a farmhand sitting on the side of the road with a turnip covered in mud, saying, "Will you buy the turnip? Do you want the turnip?" And you'd say, "I don't know what a turnip is, but, but I'll take it away and I'll do something with it." <laughs> and then what happened is the supply chain got in place and it got cleaned up and it was put into a supermarket. So then you look and say, "There's a turnip," and you increase the value of it, but you're still buying a product as it goes. And then someone turns around and says, "Well, I tell you what we can do with this turnip. We can put it into a soup and put it into a restaurant." And I could package a service around it. So now you get a turnip which tastes better, and you get the service around it. And you start to experience it, and then you get to the points. If you take, uh, as if you know the, the um, chef Jamie Oliver, uh, you may, may or may not know the chef Jamie Oliver. Mm-hmm. But what he then did was he took 15 people who were homeless and taught them to cook, and they came into the restaurant and they actually made the food. So now you've got a social experience going on. And it's all around the very same thing: the turnip. It's just the evolution. Now, the person standing on the side of the road selling their turnip isn't going to sell any turnips anymore. So, obviously, you've got these different levels of evolution. Now, practically, why has it evolved? Why has customer experience evolved? Because that commoditization has meant we're looking for the next thing, and data has been the greatest source for this. The the access to data, the willingness uh, and, and kind of legal changes to allow the flow of data between customers and companies, but also the ability of companies to process data and start to really understand what does that mean, this customer situation, what does that mean and how can we respond to that. So I think it is a, as a natural evolution, customer experience is a point in time, there'll be something else that kind of follows on. Um, but with data efficiency, although I was just listening to a great uh, um, uh, webinar earlier from uh, Sandra Thompson's EI um, uh, evolution series, talking about confirmation bias. And actually, you know, when we're using data sources, 
they're loaded with bias. They're loaded with bias, whether they're loaded by bias of the programmers or loaded by bias of the, those contributing them. So what we have to realize is we are loading a lot of bias into looking at this data. And I think possibly that's where customer experience will go to next is the authenticity of insight to make sure it's actually pure and giving you the right sort of read. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you're right. The very first time um, two people exchanged um, goods for goods probably or services, there was an experience that kind of happened there. They did, and some some markets around the world in some countries, experience still isn't important. You know, if if you if you've got a, a country where you are one of very few organisations that can supply the market or have availability to, to products or, or goods or services, arguably, why do you need to wrap it with experience? Because that's an expensive layer to bring in there if you want to get return on the relationship. If people are prepared to buy it because you're the only place you can go to buy it, you don't need to put these extra layers in. So. Yeah, it's, it's always been there and it's to do with markets, the inputs of markets, the inputs are the maturity of, of the country, um, the availability of data sources. And, and I think this is why quite often the mistake is made that customer experience as a methodology is a standard fit, whereas it's not, it really isn't. Yeah, it very much depends on all those kind of inputs. And a lot of that can be down to the leadership of the company, their their market strategy, the types of customers they've attracted. And we have to, as those working in the industry, we have to take appreciation of those factors in the first place. And it may just mean you say, it is not the right time. We can do some very small things to lay the groundwork here, but actually it's not the right time. There are better ways to get a return for this organisation to help it progress at this particular point. And I think that's where you see maturity in customer experience profession, when you realise you're a contributor to the success, you are not the success in its own right. Makes sense. Makes sense. And just uh, tripping in the point uh, about uh, beyond business philosophy in the CX, I would like to uh, conclude this, our conversation, which is really going very practical and very pragmatic in a sense, by asking you this question. If CX has to play a role in uh, creating a better society on the whole, including for all the stakeholders that are involved, uh, where should be the starting point if we have to use CX or if CX was to help us create better societies in general? Um, that's, that's a re really good question. There, there, there's some work that was done um, by councils who identified that over the last 20, 25 years, they've been looking at the financial gain of redevelopment of areas. Um, what this has led to is a focus on things like retailing because you get high transactions from the community and relatively low skilled workers come into play. What it means is that you then lack investment into things like educational institutions, manufacturing. If we see what we saw in the last 18 months, retailing didn't have a particularly happy time. So the community at the end is massively impacted. So I think it starts with the currency you place upon the improvement you're looking to achieve. So if you take that return on investment and you turn it into a return on societal gain, a capital gain to society, you start to look at things differently because you say, well, actually, if we want to increase the well-being, if we want to increase the, the um, prosperity of the individuals in the region, 
We don't focus on the short-term transactional gain from retailing. We focus on investing into things like the educational institutions, into manufacturing. We build a community that can actually progress itself. So I think that's the starting point is to actually say, what is the return you're trying to get? There's a lovely um, uh, return on relationship. I really like that kind of expression, return on relationship, which then allows you to kind of say, well, actually, I want to make these people's lives better. My employees, my customers, my communities, my business partners, in fact, my competitors. Because if I can increase the quality of what we do, it will force our competitors to raise their game. And that's going to be good for everyone else. Now, um, there was a piece that happened quite it happened two or three times, but in the fast food industry during the lockdown, I saw something quite incredible. And I think this gives us an insight in terms of what the future looks like in customer experience, where the chain Burger King was advertising outside of its, its uh, branches. You love a Burger King, but McDonald's, Kentucky Fried Chicken, all the other fast food retailers have employees, they have supply chains that also need to survive in order for us to be our best. So please drive past and go and eat from their restaurants. That is an industry recognizing that it needs to work together and go and see what they're now. If you go there and the experience is awful, you're going to come back to Burger King anyway. If you go there and you enjoy their few food, maybe they were better served for you. So you've been inspired to go somewhere else. The reality is you get a balanced experience and you're able then to say, Burger King, you know, however I might take them, however I might think about the industry they're in, they're good guys by trying to help others in order to progress forward. So I think it's that starting point. If you look at customer experience with what you can give and you think about the progress of others as your reward, then the gains are gratitude and we can all move forward. If you look at it in terms of what you can take, someone is being compromised and it's usually the customer. So I think that's the maturity that needs to happen for us to get to that beyond business perspective. We, we, we created a movement called the Customer Experience World Games where we've got 400 volunteers who contribute time and talent and it's leading to actual improvements to charities in places like Bangladesh, in places like Mexico, in places like Rwanda, where we're seeing real progress. We're making improvements to their benefactors and their donors just by contributing and not thinking what we can actually take. That for me is progress. That's where it can go in the future. That is such a powerful message. Honestly, I mean, if, if I'm taking something away from this conversation, this is the last message, which is so very powerful, how we can together, you know, create a better world for all of us that we are living in. Not only for all of us who are living right now, but sustainable, something that's sustainable, something that sustains the future generation. Thank you so Absolutely. much, Christopher, for joining us on our journey of illuminating the world with magical experiences. We really appreciate your presence. Thank you, Supriya. I've really enjoyed it and some really insightful questions. I, I know where you've been fishing to get those questions. It's brilliant interviewing. Thank you very much. CXO with your host, Supriya. I hope you enjoyed a dive into the nitty-gritty of customer experience. 
If you are committed to applying these ideas in the real world, stay tuned with me. Don't forget to check out all the links and resources in the show notes. That's all for this episode, folks. See you next time.